preaching text today is from John 12, 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There he get, they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 darani and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, move in us this morning that our lives may overflow with your praise. Amen. Well, last week we heard the story of Jesus coming to a village called Bethany, the home of his friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and we heard how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. This week, Jesus is once again in Bethany, in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, though there have been some significant developments since our last reading. As you can probably guess, the raising of Lazarus has caused quite a stir. Now, this is the only story of Jesus raising someone that's told in the Gospel of John, but it's not the only time that the Gospels tell us of Jesus raising someone from the dead. Mark's Gospel, for example, tells of Jesus raising a little girl uh, who is still on her deathbed and returning her to her parents. And Luke tells of Jesus interrupting a funeral procession in order to bring back to life a widow's only son. But the resurrection of Lazarus, it's different from these other two. I mean, first, rather than being dead for only a few hours or maybe even a full day, Lazarus has been in his tomb for four days already, and the smell, you might recall, confirmed this. And so there was no chance that Lazarus had only appeared dead, perhaps, as the other two could potentially have been explained. Uh, second, the, those other two resurrections, they took place in Galilee, way up in the north, way far away from Jerusalem. But Lazarus's resurrection took place in Bethany, just a couple of miles from Jerusalem. And his family was known, it appears, to many who lived in Jerusalem. And because of this, those other resurrections, well, they could be explained away, perhaps, as misunderstandings or rumors but Lazarus' resurrection was undeniable. 
And this was causing many Judeans to defy the temple leaders and to follow after Jesus. And so faced with this troubling situation, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they called a meeting of the ruling council in order to decide what to do about Jesus. Now, this is an urgent matter to them, not uh, only because Jesus is a threat to their own influence, but also because in their view, Jesus is a threat to the well-being, the safety of the city. If you recall, at this time, Jerusalem is occupied by the Roman Empire, and the Romans will not tolerate anything that even smells like rebellion, especially in a city like Jerusalem that has rebelled often in the past. And so the chief priests decide that Jesus and his rapidly growing following are simply too dangerous to leave alone, and they formally decide to have him put to death. So because of this, Jesus goes into hiding in a town called Ephraim, and that's where he's been up until our reading today. With this background in mind, I want you to imagine the scene of our reading today from the perspective of one of the disciples. You and Jesus and the other disciples, you're reclining at the table. Martha is serving the dinner. And, you know, it's good to see Martha and Mary and Lazarus again. It's been a while, especially after holding up in Ephraim. But at the same time, it's also a bit nerve-wracking because you are very close to Jerusalem and Passover is just a week away, a little under a week away, and uh, the Passover crowds are already beginning to arrive And as you finish dinner and as Martha is cleaning up, suddenly you notice this powerful smell. It's not an unpleasant smell. In fact, it smells like the sort of perfume uh, a wealthy woman might wear. But it certainly is strong and a bit out of place. And when you look around for the source of the fragrance, you notice that Mary has opened a jar of perfume, expensive perfume by the looks of it. And rather than using a measured amount, as you do when you use perfume, she simply pours out the bottle at Jesus' feet. And then for whatever reason, maybe uh, she can't find a rag, or maybe she simply wants some of the fragrance on her, she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Now, clearly Mary cares deeply for Jesus, but this is unusual, to say the least, and it's making everyone a little bit uncomfortable. I mean, it's not just Mary's undignified action, but it's the cost of the perfume. I mean, you don't know much about perfume, but you know enough to see that this isn't the cheap stuff that she's poured out on Jesus's feet. I mean, everything about what Mary is doing here is embarrassingly extravagant. And as she continues, you and the other disciples exchange some uncomfortable looks as the conversation trails off. Finally, mercifully, Judas breaks the uncomfortable silence, and he says what many of you were already thinking. This is totally inappropriate. Shouldn't this perfume have been sold for 300 denarii? That's nearly a year's wages. Uh, And the money been given to the poor? It seems like a reasonable question. Now, if we stopped right here in the reading, and we asked uh, a bystander who the model disciple in the room is, at least based on uh, the externals, what can be observed, 
the award might go to Judas at this point. I mean, of the four people named in the story, other than Jesus, of course, Judas seems to be the responsible one. Martha's serving, which is good, but Lazarus is just sitting there, and Mary is wasting a great deal of wealth that could be helping a lot of people. Judas, on the other hand, is looking out for the poor. He's trying to steward Jesus and the disciples' resources in the most faithful way possible. And after all, if there's anything that makes one a good disciple, it has to be responsibly caring for the poor, right? So what a surprise it must have been when Jesus comes back with that surprising and uh, honestly slightly offensive response, leave her alone, he says, you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. You know, setting aside for a moment, Judas's ulterior motive, which we're told about, this ulterior motive of embezzlement, my default sense of what a faithful disciple looks like, of what faithful discipleship looks like, well, it's closer to the statement of Judas than it is to the action of Mary. Confronted with an extravagant expression of love and worship like that of Mary literally pouring out a year's wages at Jesus' feet, my reflex is to condemn it as unnecessary and excessive and honestly a bit showy. To put it bluntly, left to my natural inclination, I would rather appear responsible and prudent than give Jesus the praise which he deserves. How about you? Do you freely worship God with heart, soul, strength, and mind? Or do you let your concern for being respected outweigh your duty to praise? You know, as Lutherans, we pride ourselves in our grasp of the gospel, in our conviction that salvation comes freely by God's gracious action, and that no work of ours can earn God's mercy in the slightest. And as someone who's not a lifelong Lutheran, let me tell you that the Lutheran insistence on the centrality of God's promise, it's a very precious treasure. And it's one that we hold for the sake of the whole body of Christ. To know that my salvation comes not according to my own effort or choice or from the sincerity of my worship, but only because of God's decision for me, I mean, that's what makes the Christian life worth living. And the Lutheran witness to that truth, it's the purest I have heard. So isn't it odd how reluctant we can be to give God praise? I mean, given the infinitely good gift, inexpressibly good gift that we have received, it's hard to imagine how we could ever not be praising and thanking God. And yet it seems we find a way. I mean, perhaps it's just that we're too busy or distracted to notice God's blessings. Or perhaps we're too embarrassed to let our praise be anything more than intellectual praise. Or perhaps we're so focused on insisting that praising God doesn't make God love us more that we forget to do any praising at all. Whatever the reasons, when we don't praise God, when we don't acknowledge God's goodness to us and the blessings that we receive, we shackle ourselves from living to the fullest. When we restrain ourselves from giving thanks to God, we limit the freedom that we have been given. 
Because praising God, it's, it's not a work that we produce. It's what naturally emerges from the grace that we are given. I, I'm convinced that when we pause to consider, and I don't know how often we pause in our culture, but when we pause to consider the depth of God's love for us, and the life that he's given to us, and the salvation that he's accomplished for us through Jesus' work on the cross, praise can't help but follow. Listen to Luther as he lists for us just a few of the reasons God deserves our praise. Uh, This is from Luther's small catechism. It's the section on the first article of the Apostles' Creed. And Luther writes this, I believe that God has created me, together with all that exists. God has given me and still preserves my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all limbs and senses, reason, and all mental faculties. In addition, God daily and abundantly provides shoes and clothing, food and drink, house and farm, spouse and children, fields, livestock, and all property, along with all the necessities and nourishment for this body and life. God protects me against all danger and shields and preserves me from all evil. And all this is done out of pure fatherly and divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness of mine at all. And for all of this, I owe it to God to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. Let's take a moment now to pause, to consider what God has given to us. Uh, You know, on those bulletin inserts that you get in your bulletin, and I don't know how many of you pay any attention to those bulletin inserts, but on the back of those, there's a section called Pray. And in that section, it says uh, you can, uh, it's a space to write down any prayers, uh, requests for yourself that you want to pray to God or any uh, thanksgiving that you have. And I'd like you to write on the back of that. If you have a pencil, I made sure to put a few extra in the pews. There might need to share a little bit. Uh, I want you to write in that section, praise God for, those three words, praise God for, and then dot, 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 or you could put a colon or whatever, however you want to wrap it up there. And then during the reflection time after the sermon, I'm just about to wrap up, uh, I want you to write down at least one blessing. Just try and come up with one, or, or more than one if they just start flowing, but at least one blessing in your life that you are grateful for. One blessing that is worth praising God for. And then, there's homework to this, and then I want you to share that blessing or blessings with someone else this week. Could be a family member, a loved one, friend, anyone, anyone that you want, to share that blessing or blessings with someone else. Because, brothers and sisters, God, your Father, created you and gave to you everything that you have, everything that you are. And if God had stopped with that, well, that would have been enough. But God then sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to take your sin upon himself and to put it to death on the cross. And if he had stopped with that, well, that would have been enough. But then, three days after, he was raised and he returned to his disciples and breathed on them the Holy Spirit so that they might carry the forgiveness of sins everywhere they went. And if he had stopped with that, well, that would have been enough. But God didn't stop. 
God kept on saving and forgiving and inspiring until God got to you. And once God gets a grip on you, your life is forever changed. And praise God for that. Amen.